Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. Our gospel lesson comes to us from the gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 10, beginning with verse 40. Let us listen for the word of God. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose the reward. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear God, may the words of my mouth and the temptation, dear God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and Redeemer. Amen. Today's lectionary reading from the book of Genesis is one of the most horrifying, shocking, and disturbing of passages in the Bible. My decision to preach upon it was made months ago when I was still in Florida, and the challenges of the text and the wrestling that would go into preparing a sermon on it just felt so distant. As I started to engage this scripture in preparation for today, I began to have second thoughts. The passage is so dark, and I wondered if the congregation gathered here today on a 4th of July weekend would want such a heavy passage. At one point, as I was on the phone with my mom, actually, I told her that I was thinking about abandoning this passage in favor of one of the other scripture readings. But as I began to explain to her why I was feeling that way, and as I heard myself out loud, I decided that switching scripture would be a cop-out, and that's not something I wanted to do. As I was reading the scripture while I was having difficulties, lots of questions came to mind, questions that I thought would be interesting to pursue. I was certainly feeling challenged, but rather than running away from that challenge or leaving that challenge for a future week, I decided to engage them. I began to think that maybe something good could come from my wrestling with this difficult passage. It's the beauty of using the lectionary. You come across scripture that you would have never chosen on your own, and I've often found that at the end of my time wrestling with it, at the very least, I've had some insight that can inform my preaching upon it. Within these verses, there is so much to engage And I began to think that maybe from the darkest of experiences can come the brightest of light. From what might be the most troublesome of Scripture passages, the near sacrifice of Isaac, can come something about the love of God. While this morning I am engaging again what is one of the most 
disturbing and confounding passages of the Bible, I truly hope we will come to a renewed understanding of who God is and what the church is all about. I hope the abundance of love available in Jesus Christ is made clear. Rather than leaving here disturbed by so distressing a biblical passage, I want you to leave here with a freedom and optimism rooted in faith and one that is relevant to your daily lives. The book of Genesis moves from a primeval history depicting the creation of the world to the intimate account of a particular people through a particular family. Mentioned last week, Abraham was called by God in Genesis 12 in what is known as the Abrahamic Covenant. This covenant includes a threefold promise of children, land, and blessing. In Genesis 12, it states, Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Just as God once called Abraham to set off for a new place, God now calls Abraham to set off into the unknown, this time not from his father's home, from his country and kindred, but to another unknown, one even more terrifying and perplexing. He's to go to the region of Moriah, to a mountain that will be showed to him along the way. Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1 identifies Moriah as the site of Solomon's temple, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The location to which Abraham is sent is so important that Samaritan Bibles state that Abraham is to go not to Moriah as in the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the central place of worship for the Israelites, but to the Samaritan site of God's presence, Mount Gerizim. The different location in Samaritan Bibles as contrasted to our Bible indicates that the near sacrifice of Isaac must have meant something significant. Further, the Quran's accounting of Abraham's experience, the near sacrifice involves not Isaac, but Ishmael. And I raise these differences simply to say that something extremely important for faith must be contained within Abraham's experience, as troublesome as it might be. Our scripture tells us that Abraham is instructed to sacrifice his son, his only son whom he loves, Isaac. Ishmael has already been sent away. None of us should feel comfortable with this situation, but this detestable practice was unfortunately done by others. Deuteronomy 12, 31. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their God. I emphasize they and their to say that the Israelites are to be distinct from the people around them by not engaging in what is identified in the Bible as a quote-unquote detestable practice. 
But they and their gods are a different people, a people from whom the Israelites are set apart. The Bible instructs against these horrific actions several times in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, so much so because it was a practice that was present and practiced among other faiths. And God's people, the people among whom Abraham is a part of, were distinct by not engaging in this practice. Now what I'm about to say, I haven't read in any of my commentaries or come across it in my research, albeit my research hasn't been exhaustive, but in light of the presence of this horrific practice of sacrifice throughout the Mediterranean and the Mesopotamian world, a possibility that arises, one that I've begun to wonder about, is that perhaps the test issued to Abraham wasn't meant to go as far as it did. Perhaps the test was for Abraham to hear a ridiculous challenge that would cause him to question, maybe even laugh in a response. Sarah laughed when Isaac was promised in their old age. Maybe Abraham was the one who was supposed to laugh this time. After all, that's the definition of the word Isaac, to laugh. Further, to complicate the picture, Abraham bartered with God at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if he wasn't afraid to question God then, why didn't he question God here? If one was ever to question God, I can't think of a better moment to do it than this. In verse 2 of our lectionary reading, God gives these horrifying and puzzling instructions, and in verse 3, Abraham begins to carry it through. And the next time we hear from God is when God puts an end to this madness in verse 11. Maybe the message and point of the passage is that when God calls, think and consider carefully. For us who have the benefit of the Bible and believe that Scripture interprets Scripture, when we think we hear God calling, ask yourself, is this who I know God to be? Is this who God is revealed to be in Jesus Christ? This is just an idea, an insight of mine that I've wondered about this week. Please understand, I don't think that I've cracked the code to this troubling passage. I haven't done what theologians haven't been able to do in the thousands and thousands of years before me. But I'm raising a possibility that's interesting to ponder. And there are elements to deal with in the remaining verses that limit what I'm proposing as a question. Certainly not an answer. Early the next morning, Abraham, Isaac, and their servants set off. What a miserable night that must have been. After cutting enough wood for the burnt offering, they set out for the place that God had told them about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. On the third day, they looked up and saw the place in the distance. Three days reminds us of the experience of Jonah on his way to the Ninevites. Three days reminds us of Jesus inside the tomb. In Jesus, three days until resurrected life, new beginnings, ultimate transformation, and an answer and reason for hope and healing. Three days 
they journeyed to Moriah. Interpreters of this passage frequently relate it to the first commandment, you shall, know, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, not solving the difficulties of the gruesomeness of this test before Abraham, this interpretation does provide relevancy to our lives today. After all that Abraham went through, it would have been so easy for him to find his entire identity, purpose, and way of being in his son, his only son now, as Ishmael has been sent away, Isaac, the future hope of the promise God has given him. Abraham and his nearly losing everything in the near sacrifice of Isaac is a good reminder that our primary, primary identity, worth, and purpose should not be found in anyone or anything else. But our primary identity and purpose should be found in God. And all other things and people are blessings and outpourings of God's presence in our lives. Our worth and ultimate identity is not to be found in our job, as many hours as we might spend doing it, and as worthwhile and rewarding as it might be. Our identity and purpose is not located in our spouses, children, parents, or family, as significant as they and our responsibilities towards them might be. Instead, we love them as a blessing from God. We are God's, and this provides a security that these unfortunately fleeting blessings can never match. Because our identity in God is the only identity that can never be taken away from us. We belong to God, and this is independent of everything else. And God is the author of all the blessings we enjoy. Unshakable and ultimate joy is not found in your job, family, friends, or even your hobbies, but in God alone. God and faith can never be taken away. Interpreters of this passage also frequently commend Abraham for an amazing faith. They identify in Abraham a confident faith that believes God will deliver even while moving into the terrifying. As Sidney Graydon House, a professor at Calvin College, states, Abraham was instructed to burn bridges behind him when in Genesis 12 he was called to leave his land, country, and kindred. And now he is instructed to burn the bridges in front of him with the near sacrifice of Isaac. Isaac, who he nearly lost that day, was both his present and his future, and not just his, but Israel's as well. Perhaps Abraham is the one who best epitomizes what it means to hope against hope, even as he moves into the inexplicable. Abraham is understood to have complete willingness and obedience, willing to lose everything to remain faithful to God's call. As you can tell from my earlier statements and ponderings, I remain uncomfortable with this interpretation. If he was called to do almost anything else, I might more easily accept it. 
but the near sacrifice of his son? And again, he questioned the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He negotiated with God. Surely, he would have at least tried to do so for his own son. Gideon, years later, would seek confirmation of God's promises, and he got it. Why wouldn't Abraham do the same here? To question in such circumstances might not be to doubt God, but to profess belief in God. To profess faith in a loving, gracious God. To profess belief in the God who is revealed in Scripture. The God who values and protects life and commands against murder. For Abraham, to question would be to profess belief in the God who created humanity, who sought to be in relationship with us, the God who delivered Noah's family, and the God who brought forth Isaac in the first place. And for us to question such a call, the call issued to Abraham concerning Isaac would not be to doubt in God, but to profess belief in God as he is revealed in Scripture. God who would give his only son on our behalf. Instead of my questioning what Abraham does not do, perhaps I should applaud him at least in part for what he does do. In verse 5, Abraham tells the servants accompanying him and Isaac, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship God and then we will come back to you. Abraham uses the plural, we saying, we will go and we will come back. Ruling out the possibility that Abraham might be lying to the boy and his servants, because that would not be a godly act to be commended, it seems that Abraham had confidence that God would provide, even at the last moment. Hoping against hope, perhaps. Some interpreters go so far as to assert that Abraham believed that God would resurrect Isaac from the dead, as if Abraham would go through with the gruesome act and then God would intervene and resurrect Isaac from the dead. The Apostle Paul articulates this in Hebrews 11, stating Abraham reasoned that God could raise even the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. The text conveys no emotion on Abraham's part. He seems almost robotic going through all of these actions. It doesn't mean his emotion was entirely void, but simply the text doesn't express it. Nevertheless, could Abraham be more than just a silent, obedient servant, unhesitatingly and unquestionably following through on the absurd? Could Abraham instead be a person with deep faithfulness in the providing love of God? After all, when Abraham and Sarah were all out of earthly hope, at the deepest point of their depression, God provided Isaac. And here God would do the same, providing a ram. In the final moments, the angel instructs Abraham not to lay a hand on the boy. There's so much that we don't know about this passage. And I've asked my questions of the text. But we what we definitively know is that on Moriah, the site of Solomon's temple on the Temple Mount in modern-day Jerusalem, 
God stops the sacrifice. With hesitation and discomfort about finding meaning in the test, the challenge, what I have certainty about is that God stops the sacrifice. God saved Isaac, and he saved Abraham that day too, as well as the promise. God provides, and God saves. These are the certainties amid all the complexity and questions. Another certainty is this, that on the cross, not the wood that Isaac himself carried up the hill, but on the wooden cross, the wooden cross that Jesus himself would carry to the hill of Calvary, God would take on all the pain and anguish that is so absent in this text from Genesis. Throughout these verses, Abraham feels robotic. He goes through all the horrific motions, but without any of the corresponding emotion that we read into the text. All the anguish is ours as we challenge ourselves by saying, could you only imagine? The disgust and horror are ours, the interpreters, not Abraham's. But contrast the roboticness of Abraham's actions. Contrast this to the void of emotion in Genesis. Contrast this to the tears of blood that Jesus cried as he prayed to God in the garden of Gethsemane. Contrast this to the tears of his mother Mary when she saw her son upon the cross. Contrast this to the emotion expressed by Jesus in the loud shout that he shouted from the wooden cross, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaac was spared. Jesus was not. Abraham almost lost everything on Moriah, but on Calvary, through God's love, we gained everything. In the darkest of scenes and in a profound mystery we may never be able to make full sense of, the bright light of Christ shines through because he, not us, is the author of salvation. God saved Isaac. God saved Abraham. God saved his people, and God saves us too. Thanks be to God that amid the complexity and the questions that we have in life, God's final word comes to us in Jesus Christ, the light that came to give light to our dark world, the light that we're called to carry with us from this place, in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.